Today's text is found in Acts 12, verses 1 through 16. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the angels fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. And now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door, in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. There are some uh, church meetings and gatherings you just don't want to miss. And uh, I believe that this right here in Acts chapter 12 was one of those church gatherings that, man, people were talking about for a long time. And if they missed it, they, they'd be bummed. You know, it's like the next morning, you know, at work, there's, uh, you know, there's one guy and he's like, Theophilus! Bro, where were you last night at the prayer meeting? I mean, God did some crazy things, and it's like, oh man, I missed it. Well, I'm glad you're not missing this today, but I'll tell you, this story in Acts chapter 12 is about a church that came together in a moment of crisis. It's about death, it's about persecution, but it's also about praying in faith, believing for God's supernatural breakthrough. And in the middle of the story are some really, I think, hilarious, very human, natural moments. Now, the first character that we met there in the beginning of Acts chapter 12 is King Herod, who it says had begun persecuting the church. In fact, it says that, that he had had uh, James. Now, this is one of the 12 apostles. This is John's brother, James. He'd had him imprisoned and then executed. And when he realized that, that like, the community was responding favorably, that, like, he actually killed one of the apostles, he said, oh, man, this is good, you know, for my credibility in the community. So now I'm going to, like, arrest Peter. And so that's what he did. He arrested Peter, and it says that he was imprisoned, um, until just like at the end of the Passover feast, then there was going to be, the, you know, make no doubt about it, there was going to be another mock trial, and the intent was to execute Peter as well. But it says that while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And as a result, 
you know, what we read. God sends an angel right into the prison cell where Peter was. He wakes up Peter, tells him to get dressed, which I think was very polite of the angel because I think angels have probably seen everything. But, you know, being kind for Peter, he says, yeah, get dressed. The chains fall off Peter. He gets up, gets dressed, and then follows the angel right out through the cell doors, past the other guards. It says that the, the prison gates opened up before, before him, and he goes down the street. All this time, he is thinking that this is just a vision, that he's like having some like really cool, amazing you know, dream that God had set him free. It's not till they're down the street from the prison, and all of a sudden, the angel vanishes from his sight, that finally he actually realizes this is real. Like he's pinching himself. This is real. God has set me free. And so Peter goes and shows up at the prayer meeting, like right where the church is gathered praying for him. But the, the, I think what's really amazing is that the church doesn't even realize, even when he's knocking at the door, that God has answered their prayers. And there's this precious moment where Peter's outside knocking at the gate, and there's a little servant girl named Rhoda. Rhoda hears the knock, she runs, and she hears, hey, it's Peter, I'm here. God set me free. Rhoda runs back into the church prayer meeting, and she's like, Peter is outside. And they don't believe her. Not only had Peter not believed that he was in the middle of a miracle, the church who was praying for this very miracle, they don't believe it either. They do not believe that Peter had been set free by God. They actually even try to spiritualize it by saying, ah, oh, Rhoda, it's just his angel. You know, don't, don't worry. No, God had shown up and done the supernatural act of freeing Peter because the church had been praying. But they were shocked by this. Now listen, my hero in this whole story is the servant girl, Rhoda. I think about this. Out of all the church that was gathered for prayer, it was only Rhoda. She kind of got it wrong. I mean, she left Peter standing in the dark outside, but she was the only one who actually believed that God had answered their prayer and done a miracle. So you know what? In my excitement, I may get it wrong from time to time. How about you? But I want to be someone who always believes that God is going to do the impossible, that God is going to show up supernaturally, even in my very natural circumstances. Now listen, I love this story from Acts 12. It shows us a couple of really important things. One is it shows that the church, right from the very beginning, was learning that they were to be a praying community. Like when things were going on, when, you know, whether good or bad, or, it's like, man, we want to gather together for prayer. And so we learn from their example that our church, the church, is to become a praying community. But it shows us something else, I think, much deeper about the very nature of prayer itself. It shows us the interaction between the natural, just the natural world, the physical realities of, uh, of what we live in. It, it shows the interaction between the natural and the supernatural. And to understand prayer, I think we have to really understand this, this interplay, this, this exchange that's going on between the natural and the supernatural. Now listen, just because we've been born again doesn't mean that God removes this natural, physical element of our life. We are physical beings, right? God created us this way. With a human nature, he did not create spirit beings right, that are supposed to somehow like just forget about like the physical, natural parts of life. He made us as human beings. We're not spirit beings, we're human beings. We're made in God's image, but we're still made of flesh and blood, 
right, just fashioned out of the soil of the earth, and one day, dust to dust, we will return to that. But listen, God made us this way as human beings. Now, yeah, when, when we did come spiritually alive by putting our faith in Jesus, at that moment of salvation, Jesus redeemed these natural, physical bodies that we live in. But as long as we're here on earth, guess what? He doesn't change us from being natural, physical beings. But here's what happens. When we put our trust in Jesus, at that moment of salvation, we become naturally supernatural. Because God now lives within us. If you've given your life to Jesus, Jesus has come and made his home in you. And that's an amazing thing. I believe this is exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he called us and referred to us as human beings as jars of clay. That's, that's what we are. We are these fragile, easily broken, right, Easily cracked, we, we get tired, we, you know, all, all the natural things. We're these natural, just fragile jars of clay. But he said that what we contain is just beyond measure because we actually contain within these jars of clay, we contain the priceless treasure of Jesus himself. The supernatural God has come to dwell with us as natural human beings. And that's an amazing thing. So as long as we're alive on this earth, as long as you and I are dwelling on this planet, but we put our trust in Jesus, we have become naturally supernatural. And much of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to actually do very natural things that now have supernatural results. Natural things, things that we just do naturally with our physical brains, our physical bodies, but they have supernatural results. Now, in a moment, we're going to be talking about prayer and why that's one of these things that I believe is just so incredibly amazing that we can do naturally that has supernatural results. But I just want you to think for a moment about so many of the things that we do that are these natural things that have supernatural results. How about this? Confession. Like when I know that I have blown it, that I've sinned, I've, I've done wrong, I've, I've, I've hurt not only other people, but I've sinned against God himself. So what, what do I do? I confess my sin. Like I use my physical brain and my physical body, I use my mouth to say, God, I've sinned against you. This is what I have done. And I, I go to others. I go to people kind of above me in the spiritual food chain, right? People who are elders and mentors in my life. And I go to them and, and, I, and I also, I confess to them. Guess what? When we open our mouths in a very natural way and just become transparent with what's going on inside this jar of clay, God says that there is supernatural result. And I've experienced this. But I have experienced the power, the supernatural breakthrough power of God simply because I did the natural thing of opening my mouth and confessing my sin. And when I've done that, just the flood of just supernatural grace and love and mercy and just freedom has come. Right? We do a natural thing, confession, but we get a supernatural result and that is walking in the freedom and the grace and the mercy of God. Not great, but that's just like one example. So many of the things we do. How about offering forgiveness to those who have injured us, right? Who have maybe sinned even against us. And when we forgive, it's a natural thing. We're processing in our physical brain. We're using our mouth to say, I forgive you. But when we do that, there's supernatural result. And there's so many different things that we do. When we come to worship, it's natural with supernatural result. When we go and uh, do ministry to others, where we're actually doing what Scripture calls evangelism. We're sharing the good news of Jesus. It's a very natural thing. 
We're walking around, we're talking with people, we're praying for people. But God says that there can be new birth, supernatural new birth, as the the seed of God's word gets planted into the hearts and minds of others and begins to come alive and produce a supernatural hope that was not there before. And we could go on and on about many different ways that we might do these natural things. Scripture is full of them. But here's what I believe, friends, and this is why we're talking about prayer this morning. Out of all the different natural things that we might come to do as people of faith, I believe that prayer itself is the greatest thing that we can do that is both natural but has supernatural results. Prayer is our primary faith language. We have others. We have all kinds of different things, as I've just been mentioning, that are the result of our faith. But prayer is our primary faith language. It's an ever-present means to invite Jesus into any moment or circumstance. Prayer is the first and strongest way to activate our faith as it lays the foundation for everything else will do. Amen? Listen, prayer is a way for human beings to naturally access the supernatural God of the universe. Now, you might feel, it's like prayer does not really feel that natural to me. Here's what I would encourage you, if you're a person of faith, if you put your trust in Jesus, as you continue to pray, what you're going to experience is that it is going to become more and more natural to you. It will become just like talking with a good friend. Because when we pray, it is natural. We, we don't go into a trance. We don't somehow close down our mind um, you know, from, from just natural thoughts and things. We don't go into trance, and we use our physical brains and bodies in order to have this conversation just like we would with a friend or a family member. But prayer, God says, has supernatural result. It's like when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. I think one of the most powerful things that Jesus told his disciples was to pray this way. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Do do you catch that? The supernatural invading the natural Right, right here, God on earth, I'm living in a natural way, I'm living on this natural planet that you made, but God, I call out for this supernatural breakthrough. Through prayer, it's almost like we're, we're reaching beyond the natural, grabbing a hold of heaven, grabbing a hold of God himself and saying, God, may your kingdom come, may your supernatural kingdom come to this natural place in which I'm living. This natural situation that I'm facing, whether it's sickness in my body, whether it's brokenness in a relationship, whether it's like, man, my checkbook just is empty. It's like my bank account is just depleted. It is very natural. But God, I call out to you in prayer. I am going outside of the natural and I'm grabbing a hold of God's supernatural kingdom, his supernatural will, and saying, God, just the way it is in heaven, make it so here. God was reminding us that we can ask for supernatural breakthrough even though we are natural human beings. So let's go back to this story in Acts chapter 12. There were a lot of very natural things that were going on in this story, right? I mean, there's like Peter not even realizing that he had been rescued by God, right? And we, we might kind of excuse that because, well, he was asleep when the angel woke him and maybe he was a little bit groggy. But the church was awake and praying. But so when he gets to the door, you know, Rhoda forgets him outside. That's a very natural thing to do. And then the church doesn't even want to believe that God had answered their prayers. I mean, these are all very natural things. 
Because it's, it's hard as natural people to grasp the spiritual reality, the supernatural reality of what's going on at times. It can be very, can be very challenging for us to, to think in supernatural terms. It can feel counterintuitive until it becomes just a natural part of who we are. But even though there was a bunch of natural, kind of humorous things going on in the story, I believe that the church got four things exceptionally right about prayer. And these are four very natural things that I just want to reflect on for a few moments each as we, as we kind of just go through this and kind of rediscovering for ourselves what it means to be people of prayer and as a church, a community of prayer. I think they got four things very right. Number one, they prayed passionately. Now listen, our human emotion, our human passion, our energy, it's a very natural physical thing. But God says that we can use that even as we would pray. So they prayed passionately. It was in Acts 12.5 where it said that when Peter was in prison, it says that the church prayed very earnestly for him. That, that phrase that they prayed very, very earnestly there's an intensity. It's like this fervent prayer. They were going for it. And I'll tell you what, if I ever come across a need in your life that is significant, right, like you're dying and like, I need prayer. Guess what? You are going to want me to be praying with intensity, right? I mean, you're not going to want me to like phone it in like, well, God, you know, they lived a nice life and uh, you know, I just hope they're, you know, I ho- hope that they're going to be okay. No, you're going to want me to like pound the gates of heaven itself. God, may your will be done. Lord, we speak life over our friend, our brother, our sister. And I'll tell you what, if you want me to pray intensely, if I ever end up like Peter did, if I'm ever falsely imprisoned and am facing impending death, I'm telling you, church, you better be praying passionately for me as well. Can I get a witness? Come on, we are to pray with passion. We don't just phone in our prayers. Now, the scripture is filled with examples of this. But I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 145 in verses 18 and 19. Listen to how the psalmist captured this. It says, the Lord is close to all who call on him. Right? Who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help, and rescues them. Friends, we are to call on Jesus, to cry out to him, right? Not offering little passive kind of prayers, or not offering maybe repetitious kind of prayers. Scripture tells us to not pray just with, you know, rambling words and and repetition. And, And I'll tell you, if you have children at home, I would so encourage you, to kind of move beyond the like now I lay me down to sleep kind of repetitive prayers that we just kind of fall into the habit maybe of of praying but not really like passionately engaging what's going on in the world right now. My encouragement to you, especially if you have kids, would be to teach them to pray passionately. And you can do that by just like talking to them for some moments, you know, asking them about their day and what's going on at school and, hey, you know, how can we pray? Maybe one of the questions you'd even ask your kids is, what is your greatest desire for this school year? What would be your greatest desire for this week coming up? You know, are there any things that you're facing that might be standing in the way of like God fulfilling that. Okay, we're gonna pray about that specific thing. And you might share with them. Say, hey, this is what my desire is for this week. You know, we've been praying for a friend who's sick. I wanna see healing come there. And so invite them to pray with you. Don't you just pray for them. Have them pray for you. And listen, as husbands and wives, those who are married, pray passionately together. Listen, Kelly and I right now, we have a friend 
who lives in Colorado, who was impacted by COVID now well over a month ago. And then he was hospitalized and he has been on a ventilator. His name is Bill. And we have been praying just about daily together for Bill. And there have been times when knowing that he's on a ventilator, they've, they've had to put him on dialysis. It has not been good. You know, there's like some better days and then some worse days. But when, when we have gone to pray for Bill, we have not just like, well, God, you know, he's lived a good life. You know, he's done a lot of ministry in your name and, you know, just kind of help him out. No, with, with, with passion and at times with tears welling up in my eyes. I am not a big crier, but there have been times in prayer for my friend Bill that there has been just this welling up, this passionate prayer that God bring healing to Bill in your name. Jesus, you are the Lord of all. And Jesus is Lord. Take Lord over Bill's physical, natural state and bring healing. And Jesus bring comfort to his wife, Trudy, as well. Church, we're to pray passionately. Yes, it's natural, but all through scripture we see examples of this. And I believe that while God always hears us, there's something about lifting up our voice and crying out passionately to him. That's the exact thing that they were doing in Acts 12. And I believe it's one of the reasons that Peter experienced the freedom and breakthrough that he received because they were passionately praying. But not only that, the second thing that I think that they got right is they didn't just pray passionately, they prayed persistently. They did not give up. And you're like, well, how do you know that? I'm not sure I heard that in the story. Well, you did, but I want to call attention to, to what you heard so that you can actually recognize that they did pray persistently. It's because it says that they prayed for Peter when he was imprisoned, but did you notice God did not set him free and send that angel to rescue him until the very last moment. It was the moment, it was the night before his trial that God actually set him free. So the church had been praying and kept praying. Now listen, that is a very, it, it, well, let me, let me tell you a couple different things. It's very natural to give up. It's very natural. I mean, here they were in the middle of the night, right? Because Peter was like asleep in prison. It's like this is in the middle of the night. It's very natural to give in and to give up. And just to say, you know, we prayed long enough. You know, God's just going to do whatever God's going to do. Peter, it's like you and the Lord now, it's, it's up to you. They didn't do that. They used their natural selves to say no. We are sticking with this. We are going for it. We are not going to give up until the story has concluded. And we are praying. We are interceding for our friend Peter that at the end of the story, he will have been set free. And that's exactly what happened. So there was the, there's this battle in our nature. We want to just give in and give up. But they persisted in prayer. I believe that maybe they were thinking back on what Jesus had taught. Because in, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, Jesus had taught his disciples, said, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Persist in prayer. Don't give up. Yeah, it's a natural battle that we're fighting, even against our own flesh. But they were not only passionate, they were persistent. Here's the third thing they did. They prayed together. Now listen, it's, it's okay to pray on our own at times, and we need to do that. They could have, in fact, they could have all just stayed in their own homes and just like said, hey, you know, um, you know before I go to bed, I'm just going to pray for Peter. But they gathered together as the church. 
Why did they do this? And again, I think they may have been thinking back to something that Jesus had taught his followers. It's also in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. This is what Peter told his followers. He said, I tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth, right? Right here in the natural setting of earth. If, you, if, two, um, if two of you agree on earth concerning any, anything, anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am here among them. Now, and you might like, be asking, like, okay, so by, when I'm by myself, does God not hear me? No. We should cultivate our own private and passionate prayer life with the Father. In fact, he talks about even like going into our prayer closet, right? It'd be kind of awkward to invite other people into your closet. No, have a prayer closet. Have that place that you go and cultivate that passionate uh, prayer life with, with the Lord. There's a place of intimacy, right, when we're just by ourselves crying out to the Lord. But there's also something about coming out of the closet, coming out of the prayer closet in order to pray together, to join together in faith with others. Why is that important? I think it's what Jesus was really hinting at when he said, hey, we're two or three of you are gathered in my name. Right there, I'm going to be with you. It's because as you pray, my faith is encouraged. Like as you're like literally just praying out and you're praying scripture and, you're, and your faith is rising and you're passionately engaging these matters, guess what? I'm reminded of those things that you're praying and I'm saying, wow, yeah, Lord, amen to that. Right, when we say amen to someone's prayer, it really, it's meaning, yes, Lord, that's what, what I want. I'm in agreement with what they are praying. So as you pray, my faith rises. And then as like we tag team and switch off and now I begin praying, there's something in your heart that also should be growing in faith to believe for those very things that we are praying for. Now you say, man, right now during COVID and, you know, kind of lockdowns and it's very difficult to be together, um, you, know, spe- you know, as the church, we're not allowed right now to meet indoors, of course, and it's like, well, how do we gather to pray? Well, listen, we can get creative, but we can still reach out to others and pray. I love what Pastor Ron has been doing for six months now. Ever since COVID hit, Pastor Ron has been leading a noontime prayer group every weekday, Monday through Friday for an hour. And there have been many from our church and even others from the community that have joined in together to pray for issues large and small, for issues that are facing our whole world and this global pandemic, but also praying about individual needs that have come forth. Listen, if you've, if you've emailed the church, right, if you've gone onto our website and found our virtual connection card and sent us a note saying, hey, this is what I'm going through, would you pray? Those have all been prayed for by our noontime prayer group. If you'd like to be a part of that, even before we gather together, just go over onto our church website, look at the church calendar, right, go over to calendar, and you're going to see noontime prayer. Click on that, and there's instructions for how you can join in on Zoom, either by your computer or you can even just call in on your phone and pray with others, right? If, you, if that's not possible for you, you can always call the church. You can call a friend even better yet. And you might say, well, hey, I, I don't know people. I, you know, maybe I'm new to the community or maybe I'm new to faith and I just don't know other people. Well, you are in luck because this week we're starting our SM4 sessions. And so there are multiple ways, whether in person or online, that you can join with us at the Santa Maria Foursquare Church because that's how you get to uh, begin to know people, right? We're growing not only in the Lord, but we're growing together as his followers, And so when you get to know people, then you'll be much more comfortable reaching out and saying, hey, would you pray with me? So they prayed passionately. They prayed persistently. They also came together, believing that God was going to set Peter free. And then here's the last one. And I'm just going to ask you to give me a few more minutes 
to explore this last topic together because I think they got something right here. It's very natural. But again, there's this battle of like what, the, what our human nature wants, but then when we get beyond that and say, God, I, want, I really want to pray what you want. And here's the thing that they did that I believe that they got right in prayer. They prayed on target. They prayed on target. When we pray, there's always some focus of our prayer, right? Something that we're either praying for or that we're praying against. And, and I believe that, that that's what John was talking about. Now, John, remember, was the brother of James, the one who had been killed by King Herod. And years later, he writes the book of 1 John. And I want you to listen to what John says about prayer. It's found in 1 John 5, 14. And he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to what? According to his will, he hears us. Now listen, being the the brother of a martyr and and coming to saying, listen, if we pray according to God's will, he's going to hear us. Guess what he was acknowledging right there? That even though he didn't understand that there was something about the greater will of God that was active and alive, even when his brother had been in prison and lost his life. Because he was still able to say, this is my confidence. This is our confidence, church, that when we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us. It has to do with praying on target. And it's very natural to pray off target. Or maybe put it this way, to to choose our own target rather than God's. And right now, during the season in which we're living, this very unique year of 2020, I'm telling you, it is really easy for us to get off target and pray for what we want to see happen rather than pray for God's will to be activated. Now listen, I want to just tell you one really quick story to show how easy it is to get off target, especially when there's problems going on. In the book of Luke, there's this little story about how Jesus was going and doing ministry in villages, and so he was sending messengers ahead of him to like tell the village, hey, Jesus is coming, like to get people prepared and ready. Maybe they'd come out and join together, you know, and uh, kind of wait in the city center. But it says in this particular incident, in in Luke chapter 9, it says that the village would not receive Jesus. And so it says in verses 54 and 55, it says when James and John, right, these very same guys we've been talking about, two of Jesus' disciples, when James and John saw this, that, that this village wasn't receiving Jesus, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Listen, they chose their own target, right? Jesus, I'm ready to get after prayer. I'm going to pray passionately. I'm going to pray persistently. And I'm going to pray together with my brother John right here, right? And I'm going to pray for the destruction of these people who would not receive you, who would not bend their knee to you, who would not even listen to you. Guess what? They were wanting to choose their own prayer target. They were not praying on target with the will of God. And so what does Jesus do? It says he turned and rebuked them. See, I think that John learned a really important lesson that day. And that's why he says, when he writes the book of 1 John, he says, listen, God's gonna hear us when we we pray on target, when we ask according to his will. God is not going to engage when we have not aligned our natural prayers with his supernatural will. Now, I want to take you back to Acts chapter 12 for a moment to think about this. Because I want you to notice something I think is super important. Herod, King Herod, was like literally persecuting the church. 
He was imprisoning the apostles and had begun to execute them. But guess what? As they were praying, what you'll notice is they did not pray against Herod. What did they pray for? What was their prayer target? For Peter's freedom. And now those are two very different things. In the natural, wouldn't you think, man, it's like, man, there's this big target and we're putting Herod's face right in the middle of it and it's like God called down fire on Herod because he was literally persecuting them. Would have been very easy to do, but that's not what they did. They chose another prayer target and it was Peter. And it was Peter's freedom that they prayed for. Now listen, I want to help you make the connection to where we're living right now. Because there are many who believe, of course, I know you're aware of this, there's many who believe that today, right now, that the church is being persecuted. Now, I don't want to make a political statement about this, but I am one who does not believe that we are facing persecution as a church today in this hour. When I read the book of Acts, I actually see real persecution. I mean, there was imprisonment. There was the execution of church leaders. And there's other places where they were forbidden to even speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And those very things that we read about in the of persecution of the church that we read about in the book of Acts, those are real things that are happening today, right now not here, but in other places around the world. And so I believe that as believers, if we, if we start to say, man, the church is under persecution, we are devaluing the real life experience of believers today that are in crisis, that are in pain, that are imprisoned, and that some are even losing their lives. Those are our brothers and sisters in Jesus. So if we're not facing persecution today, what are we facing? We're facing some hardship. You know, there are things that we're having to face right now that are really difficult. You know, being told that the like that we can't meet together indoors right now, that, that's hard. I, I think that compared to being imprisoned or executed, I would call it more of an inconvenience than a persecution. But it's hard. It's, it, it's, a, it's a hardship that we're, that we're facing, Right? But guess what, church? There's a whole lot of people in this world and in our culture and society that are facing very similar hardships right now, right? Professional sports teams can't meet together either. Uh, You know, they can't have any kind of an audience. Movie theaters can't meet there either. And, and And you can just go on and on. Bar owners right now are saying, man, we feel that this is a real hardship. I believe that we're not being persecuted, church. I believe that we're facing hardships. But no one has come and said that you can't preach this or you can't do that. No one has come and said you you can no longer be on mission. You can no longer disciple people in Jesus' name. They haven't said that. And I am thankful because we still can be on mission with Jesus. Church, we can accomplish the very things that God has intended for the Santa Maria Foursquare Church to do. And I'm grateful that we are not in a season of persecution, but and we are going to get through these difficult times together. This season will come to a conclusion. So, I want you to look with with me at one additional passage that kind of is in some ways a parallel passage to this one. But I want to go there because I want to even take this concept a little bit deeper. And it's it's a story that we didn't talk about in Acts chapter 4. I kind of skipped over it because it's a prayer chapter. And I knew that we were going to be getting to Acts chapter 12 and getting to talk about becoming a community of prayer. But if we go back to Acts chapter 4, this is what we discover. That there was a couple of the apostles, Peter and John, who had been imprisoned. They'd been arrested and thrown into jail because of what they were preaching. And before they were released, they were commanded, you must not preach in the name of Jesus. 
So they were facing, again, real persecution. They were in prison, and they were told, you may not preach in the name of Jesus. So what do they do? They get released, and immediately they go to the church and have a prayer meeting. And so I want you to listen in to a bit of this prayer. You can read the whole thing in Acts chapter 4. I'm just going to be uh, referencing some verses right in the middle of their prayer. Starting in verse 27 of Acts 4, they're praying and they say, Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. I want you to pause right there. We're going to rejoin their prayer in a moment, but I want you to hear what they were praying. They listed off the people who had been persecuting the church. And this is what they said. God, all of this was determined beforehand according to your what? Your will. Now listen, it takes great maturity as people of faith to recognize that God's will sometimes is way different than my own. That, that my desires are not always God's desires. And that somehow what had been happening, even though it was really terrible, persecution was happening, that God, that this did not catch you by surprise, and we know God because you are sovereign and you are the Lord of all. You could have stopped any of this at any instant but you didn't. This doesn't make sense through my natural eyes. But God, I want to capture something of your supernatural will. So let's rejoin their prayer. They list all these people, right, that have been persecuting the church. And they say, but we know, Lord, that somehow this was part of your will. And then they go on in their prayer and they say this. And now, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Let's pause just for a minute again. I want you, to, want you to listen to those words. Let me talk just for a second about them. God, here's all these people who have been persecuting him, persecuting us. We believe that somehow this is part of your will. Now, hear their threats and call fire down upon them. Right? Now, that is not what they prayed. They said, hear their threats. In other words, God, we know you're hearing all these threats that are coming against us. You know exactly the persecution that we're facing right now, Lord. None of this is outside of your understanding. But here's where we're at. God, give us boldness. They didn't, their prayer target was not bring fire upon those who were bringing persecution. Their prayer target was themselves. They said, God, give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Yes, we're being persecuted, they were saying. But God, we need your boldness to be on mission. And then they go on and they say this, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then what did they do? They preached the word of God with boldness. In other words, church, this is exactly what happened. They were persecuted. But instead of choosing to make a target of their enemy and to pray fire down against them. They say, no, God, this is all under your control. But here's what we want to pray for. We want to pray for ourselves that we would not stop being people who are on mission. And God, we want to see your spirit released through us. And that's exactly what took place. They were filled with boldness and they went and preached the word of God. What do we learn about prayer through this story? Pray with passion. Pray persistently. Pray with others. And also pray on target. Be careful of what your natural prayer target is. I believe that as we pray this way, friends, as we pray naturally, 
we're gonna see supernatural results just as they did. So listen, how are we gonna end? We're gonna end in prayer. And wherever you are, if you're out in the courtyard or wherever you may be, if it's possible for you, I'd love for you to stand on your feet with me as we conclude in prayer. Join me. Jesus, we do face real needs. And Lord, we are not ignorant of that. There are natural things going on in our bodies, in our relationships, Lord, and around the world. Such great hardship and even persecution. God, we pray for these things, Lord. We intercede, Lord, passionately. We cry out and say, God, Lord, have mercy. God, show up in power, Father, to redeem situations that are just so broken and outside of our natural control. Lord, because in the natural, we cannot do anything to fix them. Only you, Lord, only you. So we cry out to the sovereign Lord and say, God, supernaturally break through. Lord, may your kingdom come and may your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, like the disciples said long ago, teach us to pray. Teach us to be people of prayer, to be people of faith, who very naturally see supernatural results. Church, let's keep praying. Would you join Kelly and I as we pray for Bill and Trudy and and add into that all of your own prayer requests this week. If you want to pray with others, join us on our Zoom prayer time calls at noon, Monday through Friday. Church calendar is gonna have all the information you need right there. And join us for Wednesday sessions. There's SM4 sessions that are starting this Tuesday night with our children. Again, all the information is on our church website. We are looking forward to engaging with you in all that God is doing in his church and through his church. You are loved.